Welcome to the Converge Community Church Podcast, where we provide for you the previous Sunday morning sermon. And now without further ado, may the Holy Spirit minister to your heart as you hear the preaching of God's Word. Good morning, church family. It is... Thanks, Butch. That's what I was hearing, trying to, trying to get from you, like a, a morning class... Good morning, Mr. B. No. But I hope, I hope you've all enjoyed uh, this Christmas season with friends and family. And I know um, there's been many challenging times and experiencing various kinds of hardships uh, just even this past year. But I know various these, these past years, and even as we're coming up to 2024, uh, there's some t- things that have been challenging and difficult in trying. But as we look towards the new year, we, we can be inclined to look forward as well and, and perhaps look forward with hope, right? It's a, it's a new year. It's a fresh start, and, and that can give us hope, hope for a better year. But whether this next year will be better than the last, we have been promised, we've been promised a future hope. It's a future hope that foretells a time when Jesus will return and will make all things that were wrong right. That's the promise. It's a time when, when peace will reign. And this morning, as we are finishing up our series in Isaiah, we're going to explore uh, chapter 61 in Isaiah. And it talks about this future hope that is to come. And so, uh, during this Advent series, we looked, we looked into many prophecies during this Advent series in the book of Isaiah that, that point to Jesus, and it emphasizes this profound, significant uh, truth of his birth and what his birth means. And this morning, we will go back to Isaiah and focus on another prophecy. This one's a little bit different. Um, it's, it's claimed by or repeated by Jesus himself as he begins his life of ministry. And so we're going to unpack this, this prophecy. Before we do, let me give you a little context of Isaiah, though. So Isaiah was a prophet during a time. It was a very difficult time for the people of Israel. They, the kingdom was torn in two. There was a north and a south, and Isaiah primarily focused on the south and prophesying to the people there and to their kings. And a lot of it was prophecy of judgment. You see, Israel rebelled against the Lord. They were worshiping false idols. And at, at, a, at some point, there was a time when, when God's patience ended, where he said, you know what, enough's enough. Now, now there's going to be some discipline and, and so this is kind of at the, the eve of that. This is uh, looking out towards this time of judgment. And Isaiah is preparing the people for it. Hey, it's, it's about to get bad. It's going to get worse. But sprinkled throughout this, this prophecy of judgment is prophecies of hope. Hope that will come in the future. And it's actually going to be through this person, through this suffering servant through this promised king that will come. 
And so we know that, uh, that this is fulfilled in Christ. And so throughout our Advent series, we discovered that these prophecies find their ultimate fulfillment in Jesus. And as we find ourselves at the end of 2023, I pray that we can take heart in, coming, in the coming of this new year and that we would also find hope, not just in uh, the coming of this year, but in knowing that Christ will someday return and bring about this consummation of his kingdom, that the kingdom is now, but it also will come and be fully established. That is, that is the hope that we have. And so with that, let us stand together. I'm going to read this passage, Isaiah 61, verses 1 through 11. If you'd like to, you can grab a Bible that might be around you, in front of you, and open up to Isaiah 61, but we should have it projected for you as well. Page 526 in your pew Bible, if you want to look at it. Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 through 11, says this, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn, to grant those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations." Strangers shall stand and tend to your flocks. Foreigners shall be your plowmen and vine dressers. But you shall be called the priests of the Lord. They shall speak of you as the ministers of our God. You shall eat the wealth of the nations, and in their glory you shall boast. Instead of your shame, there shall be a double portion. Instead of dishonor, there shall rejoice in their lot." Therefore, in their land, they shall possess a double portion. They shall have everlasting joy. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrong. I will faithfully give them their recompense, and I will make an everlasting covenant with them. Their offspring shall be known among the nations and their descendants in the midst of the peoples, All who see them shall acknowledge them, for they are an offspring the Lord has blessed. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exalt in my God. For he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with with a beautiful headdress, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the earth brings forth its sprouts, and as a garden causes what is sown in it to sprout up, so the Lord will cause righteousness 
and praise to sprout up before all the nations. With that, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you. This is your word. This is a prophecy of promise. And I pray, Lord, that you would give us a spirit of understanding that we too may have hope. Not hope in things to come in this world or in this new year, but the hope that we have in Christ Jesus. And we pray this in his name. Amen. You may be seated. All right, so a couple of weeks ago, we were in Isaiah chapter 7, and I mentioned how many prophecies are filled relatively close to the time that it was prophesied. So there's this, uh, this um, fulfillment that took place in the Old Testament of these prophecies. But there's also a greater fulfillment that takes place, and it's fulfilled, much of them fulfilled in Jesus. And I think that's what we see here this morning as well. There's portions of this prophecy that you can probably look back in the Old Testament and say, you know what, it was fulfilled during this time. And again, that there is a greater fulfillment in Jesus. And so, uh, Pastor Jeff, I think this was last week when Pastor Jeff had, uh, he had the stands up with, with his pictures. There were drawings he drew. There were supposed to be mountains. There were Vs that were kind of upside down, but there were supposed to be mountain peaks, right? Now, my uh, drawing skills are as good as Jeff's. So instead of drawing them, I decided just to find a picture online for you. But this is a picture of these mountain peaks. And if you can imagine being up on a mountain peak and looking over these other mountain peaks and, and the perspective that you see, you don't really know the distance between these peaks. If we were trying to go from peak to peak, we don't know if it would take days or months, maybe even a year to get and reach all these peaks. We don't know based on our perspective. It's this issue of depth perception that, that we don't have. And in the same way, this is what's taking place when Isaiah is giving prophecy. These prophecies are like these peaks that we see in the, um, in front of us, but we don't know the distance between those mountain peaks or these prophecies and when they will be fulfilled. However, Jesus gives us a little pinpoint. He drops a pin. And so if you think of, like, uh, if you ever use Google Maps, I think Google Maps, don't they? Where um, if, you know, um, so this, this uh, Thursday, um, for Grace's birthday, um, I took, I chauffeured with Toby Clint. Me and him were chauffeurs. We drove these teenage girls into Chicago for them to shop around. And um, they graciously let us kind of tag along. But this was like their thing. And, and, but we plotted out like a course of different places that they wanted to go. And, and so I'm like researching this in, in Google and I'm dropping these pins. These pins were helping me find my way through Chicago to get to our next destination. And in the same way, Jesus does something where he's dropping a pin during the time of his ministry 
about how this prophecy that we read in Isaiah is fulfilled. And we see it in Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4, this is verses 18 through 21, but let me give you kind of some context of this. This is after Jesus comes out of the wilderness, he was tempted by by Satan. And Luke tells us in chapter 4 that he comes out of the wilderness into Galilee filled with the power of the Spirit. He mentions that phrase, filled with the power of the Spirit. That's how he comes into Galilee. Then he uh, travels to Nazareth, his hometown. He goes into the synagogue, and everybody's crowded around him, and he stands up, and they they give him the scroll of Isaiah. Jesus takes the scroll. He unrolls it to this passage. And this is what it says. This is Luke chapter 4, verses 18 through 21. This is what, this is Isaiah 61. And he says it this way. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then Jesus rolls up the scroll, he hands it to the attendant, and and the passage here says that all eyes were on him. And you can kind of imagine this, right? All eyes, he just read Isaiah, and it's probably silent, right? You can probably hear a pin drop. And then Jesus says these words, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Could you imagine him saying that? Can you imagine, wait, what? What you just read to us, this, this promise of hope fulfilled now in our, in our hearing? Jesus right then is taking a pen and dropping it. This is when this prophecy is fulfilled, right here, right now. It's a pin in the map showing that the time of oppression and enslavement is over. The time of mourning and sadness will be over. The captives will be set free and mourning will be turned to celebration. This is, this is what Jesus is pointing to, and he's pointing back to this prophecy of Isaiah. And so, yes, we can go back to Isaiah and understand it and interpret it in that historical context. But we're not going to do that this morning. What we're going to do is look at how Jesus fulfilled this prophecy for us today, because it's through Jesus that we have a future hope. And this prophecy speaks about this future hope that we have. It's actually a hope that we have now that we can, we can claim now and in the future. So this is, this is the whole idea of this passage. Um, it's the main idea. Let me share it with you. It's this, that we are called to rejoice in the Lord for Jesus proclaims blessing and hope to all his people. Rejoice in the Lord, for Jesus proclaims blessing and hope for all 
his people. So let me break this prophecy down into three parts for us. Number one, the anointed one proclaims a word of hope. This anointed one, who we know as Jesus in the future, uh, well, in the future for Isaiah, the anointed one proclaims a word of hope. So in verses, uh, in verse 1 and 2 of Isaiah 61, the anointed one proclaims a message to a particular group of people. He, he's proclaiming this to the poor, the brokenhearted, the captives, the bound, the mourners. These are the people who have been ravaged by war during the time of Isaiah. Remember, this is the people of Israel who have dug their own grave. They rejected God, they fell into idol worship, and they are experiencing this con these consequences for their disobedience. The Assyrians and, and the enmity between the northern uh, tribes and uh, Assyria and all, all these other nations are surrounding them and they're, they're feeling the pressure they're being overwhelmed. There is war. There is devastation. That's, that's what they're experiencing. And, and in this prophecy, there is a promise of freedom, of future freedom for them. And if you think of this, uh, the illustration I thought of, have you ever seen the movie Shawshank Redemption? It's like one of the best movies out there. It's this man, I think... His name is Andy. I think it was Andy or something like that that is falsely accused of murder and he gets thrown into prison and he's there for like 20 years. But throughout this time, it's kind of his story of, of going through, there were times that were, that were good, but probably mostly bad, right? Being in prison. But you see throughout all these terrible times that he's experiencing this glimmer of hope that he had. And why did he have it? Well, it's because he had this little pick that he got, and he was picking his way through the wall, making a tunnel that took him 20 years to make. 20 years of, of digging a tunnel, but it gave him hope to go through all these trials and all these hardships during his time in prison. And so at the end of the movie, there's this famous scene where he's standing free, free from prison. He's standing like in this, in this moat or this, this water, and it's raining upon him, and he's lifting up his hands, and he's, he's celebrating, and he's smiling and laughing because he's free. He, he just committed a jailbreak, and now he is free. And in the same way, Isaiah proclaims a jailbreak. Jesus, before his hearers, proclaims a jailbreak. That the captives will be free, that those who, will, who were bound will be loosened. And this is not just a temporal freedom. It's not freedom from uh, alien armies, you know, other armies from other nations that come in and oppress. And you know what? We, we aren't 
specifically experiencing that as a people. But when we open our newspapers and open up the Twitter or turn on the TV, we, we are seeing devastation. We are seeing people struggling and going through terrible things because of war ravaging our world. We are seeing it today. And, and there's this hope that we have, right, of peace Perhaps there will be a time of peace. But friends, let me tell you, since the world began, since Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve decided to eat from this tree that they were forbidden from, we have not experienced this peace. But we have a promise. We have a promise of peace. We have a promise of of freedom. It was spoken long ago in the words of Isaiah. And it's this mountain peak that was far ahead, but Jesus puts a pinpoint in it. And he says, the time is now. The time for the jailbreak is now. It is imminent. And it's not a freedom that just uh, frees us from oppression and destruction now in, in this temporal world, we know that it is a freedom from the captivity of sin and death. That's what Jesus is speaking. And so John chapter 8, verses 31 through 36, paints us a picture of this. This is Jesus. He said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are offspring of Abram and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? And Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Friends, that is every single one of us. That is all of humanity. We all have been enslaved by sin. Verse 35 says, The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So, if the son sets you free, you are free indeed. So when Jesus says that this prophecy is fulfilled before their eyes, this is what he is talking about. Jesus came into the world to set us free from sin and death. This reminds me of the hymn by Charles Wesley, And Can It Be? You guys know that tune? That hymn, And Can It Be? It has this... this uh, well, it wouldn't be a verse. Is it a verse or a chorus? What is it? Fourth verse. Oh, you know where I'm going with this, don't you? And can it be? This is the fourth verse. It says, Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. 
Friends, that's the jailbreak. That's why Jesus came. So verse 2 talks also not just about a jailbreak and bonds being broken, but that there would be comfort to all who mourn. And then in, the, uh, in verse 3, it expresses how this mourning will turn to gladness. So it's this complete 180, 180 from weeping to praising or from sadness to gladness. It's a, a change from a funeral with funeral clothes and a funeral flowers and funeral music to a wedding celebration. This is the picture. So I think you've all probably experienced going to a funeral and the kind of solemn music that is played there and everyone is dressed in black and dark clothing and it's this time of mourning and sadness. That's very different than if we go to a wedding where there is much celebration and everyone's smiling and the music is uplifting and uh, I think nowadays, usually there's some type of song after their, uh, you know, there's this um, declaration of husband and wife. You know, they're up on stage and they kind of start dancing and jumping around down, um, you know, running down the aisle. And it's this music of celebration and everyone's cheering and clapping. This is the picture, this, this time of a funeral that will be changed into a time like a wedding and a celebration. This is the picture that it's describing. So verses 2 and 3, let me read it for you. The anointed one comes, this is why he comes, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress, a headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of of a faint spirit, that they may be called, and I love this picture too, oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. So it's very interesting. He does, this prophecy gives us two different pictures. One is like of, of dressing up or having elements to, to mourn or to celebrate. So it's like the changing of clothing, but then it also switches to planting, right? Agriculture, it's gardening, it's, it's this oaks of righteousness and the planting of the Lord. So it's these, these different word pictures that this prophecy is giving to us, but it should remind us of what Jesus teaches in the Sermon on the Mount. This is in Matthew chapter 5. Verse 3, it starts out, it says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, those who are poor in spirit, those who are faint in spirit. There is a hope. Blessed are they, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's a changing of the faint heart to the heart of gladness. Verse 4 says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And so what Isaiah proclaims to Israel 700 years earlier, Jesus proclaims to his hearers, and it will ultimately be fulfilled through him. So we see this anointed one proclaiming liberty and freedom, vengeance, and we didn't really get into that, but in these verses, it talks about the vengeance of the Lord, vengeance on the enemies, 
And it also talks about this change from mourning to rejoicing. So that's, that's point one that we see. Here's the second point, and this is from verses four through nine. We see that God will bless his people through Christ, that there will be this great blessing that will come. And here's an example of that. We're just going to look at verse four for now. Verse four says this, they shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. And so verse four gives this picture of cities being restored. So you think of armies that have come, gone in and just blown up buildings and burned down buildings and, and the, the devastation around, but there will be a time when it will be rebuilt. And this is the picture that Isaiah is giving. Then if you look at the end of verse six, it talks about how God's people will be eating the wealth of the nations. So this time of prosperity where there'll be much food. Verse seven is about receiving a double portion of the land. So all of this is a picture of blessing and restoration. That, that what was once there will be reestablished. And so again, I think we've, I talked about this before, this, this time of the kingdom of Israel and the most prosperous time was during the time of Solomon. And, and it's really interesting how Solomon, and there's a lot of uh, history here of how he established all these various things in order to make the kingdom prosperous. And so, for example, Solomon established trade routes with neighboring regions, allowing for the exchange of goods and services, and he engaged in trade partnerships, and he received tribute from various nations. So other nations, queens and kings and queens would come and look at the, and um, view and look for themselves the prosperity of the kingdom of Israel, and they would actually bring even more treasure to Solomon. And this contributed to the growth and prosperity of the kingdom. There was also development in infrastructure. And so Solomon built the temple and built the palace and had all these building projects. And of course, if you're going to build, you have to hire workers. And so this also um, brought about greater prosperity to the kingdom. And then he implemented agricultural reforms and developed a system of collecting taxes in the form of produce. And the kingdom's fertile land um, was very prosperous. And Solomon created uh, efficient ways to boost food production, which all of this increased in the wealth of the nation. So there was great prosperity in such a way that other nations would come and view it and be, and, and be astounded in such a way that they would even praise and exalt the God of Israel. However, so Isaiah's prophecy is calling back to this prosperous time in Israel's history, and that signifies a great restoration that will take place However, we know that the ultimate fulfillment of this prophecy is not a physical, prosperous kingdom, but it is a spiritual kingdom. The prosperity 
of a spiritual kingdom. And a great example of this is when Jesus is arrested and he's standing before Pontius Pilate. And Pontius Pilate, this governor, is inter- interrogating Jesus. He's, he's got word that Jesus is talking about this kingdom that is going to come. And it's going to overshadow all these other kingdoms. And so the governor is like, wait a minute, okay, so are you a king? That's what he's asking Jesus. Of course, Jesus never says yes or no to these questions. He always has to have another answer, a third answer. And so as Pilate's interrogating him, trying to figure out if this is, if he is truly a king, if he's claiming to be a king, finally Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. You have your kings with your kingdoms. My kingdom is different. If my kingdom was like your kingdom, my servants would come and fight. But my kingdom is not of this world. And so the point is that these promises given by Isaiah have a spiritual element to them, which is fulfilled in Jesus as he restores us to our original condition. This is fulfilled. This prophecy is fulfilled in Jesus as he restores us to our original condition. So what do I mean by that? Well, going back to Genesis chapter 3, or even before that, when God created the world, he created us, there was, there was a one, there was paradise, there was eternal life, there was joy, there was happiness, there was this garden of Eden, and there was right relationship with God. That was good. That was the original, our original condition. And then all of a sudden, Adam and Eve have, had to go and mess it all up by eating the forbidden fruit. But that's But that's what this prophecy and that's what Jesus is pointing to here is this original condition, not not a kingdom of this world where there is prosperity. We experience a, a land of prosperity now. We are in a land of prosperity that we that no human being, a kind of prosperity that no other human being has ever experienced throughout the history of the world. The kind of prosperity that we have in America, like people could not comprehend this two, three, four hundred years ago, the kind of prosperity that we experience. Yet, there is still hardships and turmoil, conflict. There's still death and broken relationships with God. And so, this kingdom, this, this promise of restoration goes beyond the temporal and it goes to the eternal. So we were once sinners, but now, because of what Christ has done, we are called saints. Where once there was enmity with God, there is now peace where we had to work for righteousness. There is resting in Christ's righteousness. 
Where there was sorrow and despair, there is now joy. All fulfilled through Jesus and his work on the cross. So if you look at verses 7 and 8 in Isaiah chapter 61, it says this, Therefore in their land there shall possess a double portion. There shall ha- they shall have everlasting joy. This is one of those future promises, this mountain peak that is out there that we will still that we are still looking forward to this everlasting joy. And you can ask, why will there be everlasting joy? Look at verse 8. For I the Lord love justice, I hate robbery and wrong. I will faithfully. God is faithful in this, in this promise. I will faithfully give them their recompense, and I will make an everlasting covenant with them. So there is this future promise. It's an everlasting joy. And we see here from verse 8 that it has to do with justice. What is just, that's what God loves. He hates wrong and robbery. Um, robbery. And he will make what is wrong right again. And if you remember going throughout our series in Matthew, this is the kind of gospel or teaching that Jesus gives. He talks about the kingdom of heaven, and then he gives parables of what this kingdom of like. And if you remember, there are some of these parables that talk about the wheat and the chaff, that there will be a time as they grow up together, this good and the evil, there'll be a time when they will be separated, the chaff will be burned, and the wheat will be raised up and be glorified. And in the same way, it's the picture of the sheep and the goats being separated. And so there's this aspect of of righting the wrongs. There's this ultimate justice. All right, so... I think I mentioned this before. Uh, I enjoy listening to true crime podcasts, these stories of these true crimes. And the reason is, is because they reflect humanity in a lot of ways. And in the reflection of humanity, it teaches us about ourselves, but through that, it actually teaches us about who God is as well. So let me give you an example of this. Um, uh, justice. There is, you know, because of crime or murder or however, there is this craving or this longing that we have for justice. We want whatever is wrong to be made right. Here's the problem, especially when it comes to something like murder. You can't make the wrong right again how you would want it to be. The person that is killed You want that person back, and that will not happen. So justice for us is not a perfect justice. It's not a full justice that will take place. It's lacking in some way. So how we function in in this world and and trying to implement justice, it does not, it, it, it never reaches what we really are longing for. It falls short However, when it comes to this 
promise of justice, this promise that God will faithfully give them recompense. This is rooted in, and this is the last phrase in that verse, if, it, if you want to bring it back up again, and it's verse 8. This last phrase, I will make an everlasting covenant with them. This is a covenant promise. I am faithful. I will fulfill this promise, and I'm giving it to you. This covenant promise is that the seed is planted way back in Genesis chapter 12. This is when everything, this is after everything kind of goes to pot, right? Everything, sin comes in and it gets worse and worse. And it's, this is a time when the humanity was at its worst, it seemed like. You know, the flood comes in and destroys the world. God basically says, it got so bad, I have to start back over. And then in Genesis chapter 12, God comes in and he speaks to this man named Abraham, and he gives him what we call a covenant promise. He says, follow me, I will make you into a nation, and out of you, out of this nation, all nations will be blessed. This is the promise. Now, you can say back then, well, wait a minute, how is all nations going to be blessed by this? Well, at that time, we don't know. The people that were hearing it, Abraham, who heard this, had no idea how all nations will be blessed by it. But then we fast forward to the time of King David when the nation of Israel is already established. And God gives another hint or seed of this covenant that was going to come. He gives it to David when he says, I will have one of your descendants on the throne forever. Forever? Yes, forever. This is another seed of this everlasting covenant. Now we jump to Isaiah. He's, he's preaching it and prophesying it again. This is another pin, right, that's, that's leading us somewhere, ultimate, ultimately to Jesus. We see that this everlasting covenant comes to fulfillment at the crucifixion. So the God who loves justice and who is faithful will make an everlasting covenant with his people, and we see this fulfilled in Christ. We see it fulfilled on the cross. And what's so amazing is Jesus speaks of this himself the night before he is crucified. So he's up in the upper room with his disciples and they're celebrating the Passover together. And during what we call now the Lord's Supper, he stops and he takes bread and he breaks it and they eat of it. And he says, this is my body broken for you, pointing towards the crucifixion. And then he takes the cup, which represents his blood. And he says, this is my blood of the covenant. That's what he says. This is the blood of my covenant, which is poured out for many for what? The forgiveness of sin. This everlasting covenant is for not a restoration, a temporal restoration, but a spiritual restoration. 
when, where there was once enmity with God, Jesus died so that now we can have peace. Where sin held us captive, we are now free. Isaiah is prophesying this to us. A prophecy of blessing and restoration. So that's point number two. Here's point number three. God's promise through Christ will cause all peoples to exalt in the Lord. So let me read this to us. This is verses uh, 10 and 11. It says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exalt in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robes of righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the earth brings forth its sprouts, and as a garden causes what is sown in it to sprout up, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to sprout up before all the nations. So again, we're seeing this change in the garment, right? And we're also seeing this um, picture of, of a garden or planting. And in the Old Testament, Jerusalem was the city on a hill and was like the light or that which was sprouted up of righteousness and praise. It was like a light that was shone across the known world. It was the home of God's temple. It was the place where righteousness sprouted up like a tree for all to see. That's the Old Testament. Today, righteousness and praise sprouts up before all nations, but instead of it sprouting up in a place in the world like Jerusalem, it sprouts up all over the world wherever we find a church. Wherever we find a church, there where we see righteousness and praise sprout up. And when I mean the church, I'm not talking about a building. I'm not talking about a sign in front of a building that says Converge Community Church or Sawyer Highlands Church or any other church, whether it's the first church or the last church. What I'm talking about is the people of God and not just as individuals. So we can think of, you know, that song, This Little Light of Mine. I'm going to let, you know, the little kids sing it, and it's really cute. And, and so oftentimes we see as this light um, shining forth as us as individual Christians going out, and whether it's going to work or just going out into our community or loving our neighbor or whatever it may be, we are shining our little light for others to see. This is talking about something corporate, not individuals, but it's, it's us as lights as we gather together makes a bigger light, right, as a church for the world to see and exalt the Lord. It sprouts as the church. So let me give you some examples of this. Um, specific examples of this that um, I've seen. And so the light is shone throughout the, through the church in various ways. One of those ways is when there's times 
of hardship, when one of us is hurting and going through something difficult. So I'm going to give you some various examples, personal examples of this. So, so two years ago, about two years ago, when my mom passed away, um, my family, my sister, my niece, we were all in her house and we were kind of clearing it out. And people were coming every evening when we were there and bringing food. And it was people from the church. And they would come in, and it was almost kind of like, you know, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood? How many of you are old enough to know the old school Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood when someone would knock on the door? And it was kind of like that thing where it's like, oh, somebody's at the door. I wonder who it is. And we would open it up, and it would be, oh, it was the Jollies, or it was the Ballings, or, or just different people would pop in, and they would give us food or just, you know, um, talk or, or visit or whatever it may be. Um, but I remember this one time, uh, I think it was pulled pork barbecue, right? So, I mean, you could just smell it. I, I mean, it, the, the fragrance the, just filled the, the whole room. And I remember my niece, who doesn't often go to church, say, when they left, when the people left, she looked at us and go, and she went, people are awesome, that was her phrase. People are awesome. And I heard that and I go, yeah, but more importantly or, or more specifically, the church is awesome. Isn't it? Because when we go through hardships, there's, there's nothing like, and, and here was the thing, that, and at that time, the, it was the time for the church to come around me and my family and, and support and encourage and and I experienced the light, right? The light was shining around me, and it was where I said, thank you, Lord. God, you are great because of what you have done and how you have changed a people for yourself. Because I'm experiencing that blessing. My family experienced that blessing. My niece was experiencing that blessing. Here's another one. Um, we had a funeral um, at the Sawyer campus on Wednesday? I think it was Wednesday. And um, Sharon Hayward, who um, attended up at Sawyer, um, passed away, and her family was there. And it was so neat. Um, one of her grandsons came up and was sharing, and he said, you know, we're here together. And he's, he was looking out before the people, and he was saying, we're all wearing black. This, this is sad. We, we're mourning because the reason why we're sad is because she's not with us. So there is sadness. And then he said, but there's also celebration. And why is there celebration? Well, it's because Sharon Hayward is now face to face with her God. That's what he said. And so through that service, that funeral service, service, we were singing hymns, giving praise and worship to the Lord. And this was not done in a closet. This wasn't uh, a private service. This was, this was people that didn't know the Lord was invited to, and they got to experience and see what a Christian funeral is like, because Christian funerals are different than other kinds of funerals. Because yes, there is sadness, Yes, we are mourning, 
But there's a point, and oftentimes there's a point or a time during that service where the morning clothes come off and there's clothing of celebration. There's this time of celebration because we know that the one that has left us is now with their God. And there's something wondrous and joyous and celebratory about it. All right, one more. It'd be a lot easier. Uh, Kevin and Diane, if you were here, but just experiencing, just coming alongside of you and, and knowing of the hardship that you guys have been going through and our hearts burdened for you and Kyle and the prayers um, that we've prayed for you and Kyle. And there's, there's something that I know that you have been blessed by it, but I was just thinking back um, just a couple of weeks ago, a group of us went to... Um, the hospital. So Kevin and Diane, some of you might not know, um, had Kyle and, um, sorry, Diane and Kevin's son Kyle got in a very serious motorcycle accident and almost lost his life. I mean, it's a miracle that he's alive. But a group of us went there and there was just something about walking into that hospital as this group going into that room and just giving encouragement and praying for Kevin and Diane and specifically for Kyle that I, I know that the Lord can use to shine a light to Kyle and to the people that walk into that room. And as Kevin and Diane put their trust in the Lord and are thankful to the Lord, this is a light that is shining not only to their son, but to the doctors and the nurses and those who come into that room as well. Amen. So there's this way that church comes alongside those who are hurting and, and sprout up righteousness and praise. Not just that we are righteous and praise the Lord, but others may see it and give praise and exalt the Lord as well. It's a wondrous thing. This is what Isaiah is prophesying and speaking to towards the future, and we know that it's fulfilled because of Christ. So these expressions of faith in Christ sprout up from the church, and God uses them to bring about more righteousness and praise to sprout up. You know what, friends? This is why we have as a church body, we love church planting. There's a reason why we call it church planting, because it's going to a community and planting a seed for this light or this um, praise and righteousness to sprout up within a community because we know that others would see it. It would attract others and that they too may come to know the Lord and put their faith in him. All right. So, to summarize, number one, the anointed one proclaims a word of hope. Number two, God will bless his people through Christ. Number three, God's promise, God's promise through Christ will cause all peoples to exalt the Lord. And so, church, 
as we are gathered together, as, as we look forward to the new year, no matter what transpires, let us look to Christ who has set us free from the chains of sin and death and who clothed us in his righteousness. And may it be because of his work, may it be that we exalt the Lord for his faithfulness and may he continue to cause righteousness and praise to sprout up before all the nations. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for this prophecy that points us to Christ. We also thank you, Lord, for how the Gospels, like Matthew and Luke, reveal to us how this prophecy comes to fruition through Christ and the hope that it brings for us today. It's a hope that we can have now because of what was once broken, this relationship with God was, was once broken, is now mended, it's restored. So there's hope now, but there's also this future hope of a final restoration where there will be a new heavens and a new earth and new bodies, where there will be an everlasting joy. So may we be May we be encouraged and reminded of the hope we have in Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's sermon. Make sure you come back next week to hear the next message in our series.